Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Hi, welcome back to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Warren Roster, Senior Technical Editor Road for all things at Bike Radar. And I'm joined today by technical writer and longtime CX racer and expert, Robin Wilmot. Hi. So today's subject, we're going to be talking about cyclocross bikes. Um, cyclocross over the last six or so years, I would say, has seen a bit of a revolution. The bikes have changed immeasurably from what they were before. And Robin, you've been racing cross for more than two decades, I would say now. 32 years now. 32 years of cross. So um, what do you think about this this, this latest generation? I mean, what did it start with? I mean, there were bikes like the Focus Mares, Giant TCX, that really kind of set this trend for, for what we're currently seeing. Um, <clears throat> basically, the way things have changed recently is gone from cross bikes being more kind of multi-purpose, which for a while was sort of diluting what was best about cross bikes, making them into like part commute bikes and then part semi-gravel bikes, if you like, they didn't really work. Um, and now they've sort of come around, like you say, with the advent of the, the TCX and the recent um, iterations of the Crux and so on to being much purer cross bikes. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's... Is that something to do with with the broadening of the appeal of cross? You know, for the for the first time, sort of globally, you're seeing like summer series cross racing, you know, rather than it just that winter muddy heartland thing. And it, do you think that's that's actually driving it design wise, or is it just because gravel bikes have got so explode so much that that cross is actually designers been able to narrow and focus more, or a combination of the two? I think it's a bit of everything. Um, I think the different sports or different facets of the sport have sort of helped each other in a way. Um, obviously, manufacturers like to diversify when they can and create other models of bike for people to invest in if they if they see see fit. Um, so I think I think it's partly cross has become more popular. Um, the growth in numbers riding in the time I've been racing cross has been gigantic. When I used to start going to races in the 80s you'd get 30 people turning up to one single race on one day and that was it that was the only race whereas my league currently in in Wessex we get over 400 riders on a Sunday spread across I think about 8 to 10 different categories throughout the day and the women's only races and so on so that's got really strong Um, the growth from the kids has been really good and I think that's driven a need for better cross bikes Um, disc brakes have had a fairly big impact. You rarely see a, well, you won't see a new model of cross bike now with rim brakes on, really. Um, I mean, you're seeing, are you seeing less rim brake bikes at races? Are people Yeah, there was, I think, for, for several years. I, mean, I got my first disc cross bike in 2012, 
2012, I think, when it was very, very new, to the point where nobody even made bespoke road wheels for disc. We make our own, we, we, our own wheels put together to, to, to serve the purpose because there was nothing on the market, whereas now there's lots and lots on the market. Um, and at that time, there was a very, very small number of people riding discs. I was one of the only ones, and I could notice the difference. Coming into corners, I could brake much later, and there was actually a big advantage there, I, I found, because I could brake the same all of the time. Didn't have the disparity of rim brakes and the wet and the yeah. mud and everything else. Where and that even offset the, the <clears> difference <throat> in weight, especially on those early bikes, because you were ended up using converters. and Yeah, and until the hydraulics all came through, um, as a system that was reliable and, and, and released on the market. Um, yeah, I had a Hope V twin for a while, so a mechanical um, cable from the lever to the V twin, and then a hydraulic um, hose from there to the brake caliper, which was quite effective, but a bit harder to clean and a little bit more fiddly to set up and maintain than a full hydraulic system. But hydraulics are clearly the way ahead and so much simpler and pretty much fit and forget really other than new pads here and there hmm. but I mean uh, from me some almost from a kind of an outsider's point of view um, what I've noticed is <clears throat> that all of those grandees as it were of, of cross bikes from from the time when you sort of started racing and, and you know probably for a decade or so on all that you know your classic you know European brands the Colnagos the Ridleys and everything things that they just own cross now they've almost sort of been replaced by a kind of mix of kind of new world bikes, the likes of Canada Supercross, the, the Crooks, as you mentioned. Um, and then you've got, you know, radical looking new bikes like like Canyon's, you know, you know Canyon's latest, latest cross bike. Do you think that that kind of traditional way of, of doing things has is, is, is now kind of gone? Because it always used to be that, you know, cross bikes seem to have a really, really high bottom bracket. And it was only when you kind of looked into the geometry that that geometry seemed to be almost a layover from the 80s when people were using toe clips. You know, so it needed ground clearance for a, a flapping toe clip when you were running with the bike. Um, and now, it just to me, it seems like the geometry's got a bit more progressive. The bikes are, you know, they almost seem more fit for purpose than when they were back in the 80s when they were absolutely just for that singular role. Yeah, I mean, when I began, what you essentially had was a fairly lightweight for the time road bike that had cantilever bosses on it um, but still very spindly tubes and I had an Allen an old school Allen you know bonded aluminium tubes and so on um, aluminium fork but lots of bikes were steel which was fine it was very, very tough but clearly you're not getting a very light bike when you've got to carry the thing um, wheels and tyres were pretty light but as you say the bottom bracket heights were greater largely because of the toe clips which meant that when you were sizing up a bike back then, you would generally take go a size down from your road size because the top tube was effectively higher on the bike you you were buying. Um, therefore, you'd never get the standover clearance. So if you bought your regular road size, you always go down a size. And that only really changed, I think, a bit later in the 90s. You started to think, you started to find bikes that, actually, maybe later than that even, um, they suddenly became the same as your road size, whereas now I take a 56 on the road and... For the same brand, I'll take the same size in a cross bike, which is obviously makes it easier to yeah. know what you're getting. But the the standover and reach and everything else is much the same as you get on a regular road bike, even allowing for slightly bigger tires. So that's a top consumer tip if you're buying a retro <coughs> cross bike size down. Yeah, but my old um, I've still got my old Allen from it's actually an early '80s bike, um, which tried to kill me in the early '90s. 
when the steerer tube snapped, which they were notorious for doing. Um, the, the stories I heard when I was starting out was that a lot of the pros would jam a broom handle up the aluminium steerage tube because <laughs> they were prone to breaking, and I found out why when it broke on me. Um, so you should, don't, don't buy second-hand Allen bikes. I put a new fork in it, and it's fine now. Okay. <laughs> well, don't buy a second-hand Allen if it's got the original fork. Uh, maybe not, no. Maybe, maybe check <laughs> yeah. it out and um, take care. But, um, yeah, I think things have changed a lot. They, they used to be, I think the angles were a little bit steeper than they are now. Things have relaxed a fair bit. Um, so with, like, your, your head angle and fork rake and so on, you, you're getting a much more stable bike wheelbase. I couldn't tell you what the wheelbase measurements are, but it, they do seem to be a little bit longer. Um, certainly clearances on some of the brands are impressive now. And some are like, you mentioned the in-flight, the Canyon's in-flight. They've even gone to the lengths of um, steepening the down tube angle just to make more room between the the front tyre and the down tube. So if you're someone that picks up the bike by grabbing the down tube, pulling it up onto your shoulder and sliding your arm around it to then grab the handlebar when you're going to run with the bike, you've got more room for your arm to go through that space. Um, and it has, you know, other effects of all of this helps with mud clearance too, which is a always a, a massive thing. I mean, old school bikes with cantilevers, you'd clog up in no time at all if it was muddy because there was all these places for the mud to just sit. The the frames were, even though they had thin tubes, they had very little space around the tyres. Uh, so it would just sit there quite fast and build up and sit around the brakes and stop the wheel turning. And We've all been there. You either stop and yank it out with your hands or you make do or you, you change bikes if you've got another one. But I don't know if you've said that, have another bike. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at like the in-flight, the in-flight is quite, it's probably the most radical looking cross bike on the market. And it just seems to be so purely made for racers in mind with that kink on the top tube that you know, seems to cradle your shoulder. As you're saying about the changes they made to the down tube geometry, it's just to give you clearance and, you know, it, and you've raced that bike. Yeah. I went to the launch of the bike. They launched it at Zonhoven, which is a pretty notoriously tough, round of the super prestige cyclocross circuit um it's like a, a massive sort of sandy bomb hole if you like which is quite a thing to ride through. if you, if you don't ride on sand regularly which m- very few of us ever do it's it, it's like nothing else i've ever done and i've done it before that too um but what i liked about the bike i mean i'm not uh i'm not not trying to market things for canyon but i think they were very smart in terms of looking at the problems you would find in in cross itself and trying to solve them with a slightly off the wall way of thinking which i i appreciated um the frame's really well sealed up um clearances are very very good i raced it for a whole season following that and had no problems with with clogging mud at all um the thing with the top tube which is its most noble feature is it has the kink in it which serves several purposes firstly like you say when you do pick the bike up because it makes the top tube nearly horizontal before the kink the main triangle is actually bigger than it would be if it was a semi-sloping like a semi-compact type frame so you've got more space to get your your shoulder in when you're picking the bike up which is better because on certain smaller frame sizes or sloping top tubes it's actually quite hard to pick the bike up sometimes and it makes the top tube a little taller so if you're picking it up with your hand alongside your body just to lift over a hurdle for example it's higher up so it's easier to grab you're not reaching down as far um, and all this, if you're a smaller rider, is quite handy too because it's just more space. You know, in a small frame, you've got more room. So that's a good thing. Um, 
The kink part does sort of sit roughly where your shoulders. It depends how you carry your bike. For me, actually, it, it sits slightly further back for me. But you can still feel it's there, so it helps to stabilise it a bit. Um, what it also does, it really strengthens the, <clears throat> the seat post area, which is important because you jump on off a bike quite a bit. So having a pretty solid connection there is great. And the other side of it is, because it drops down, it lowers the seat state. So you've got a tight rear triangle that obviously responds really well, and you've got drop stays that always help with comfort because it, it, it increases the amount of exposed seat post and allows the frame to, to flex more in that area. So actually it serves, I think, about three different purposes, which I think is quite clever. Mm. It might look a bit weird. People always comment on how it looks, but <coughs> that design's cropped up a few times since. And actually, I was looking back the other day through some pictures I took at uh, a different pro cross race in, I think, 2015 or so, maybe 16, 15. And I saw a bike, I took a picture of it then, I thought nothing of it, other than it looks a bit odd. I think it was called Arctica, and it was being ridden by an Aussie rider, I think, or a Kiwi rider. Well, you don't see many of those at European crosses, but it had a very, very similar horizontal top tube and a kink before the seat post seat tube. I'm not saying someone copied it, but it looked very, very similar to what's been done since. So having looking back looking back on it and finding that was was interesting. Maybe it's just there's nothing new under the sun sort of thing. But come back to Canyon, well they did they did really, really well. And I saw that bike um and tested it and then started racing it a number of months before they signed up Vanderpool. Um and he's done okay on it since. Yeah, it seems so. But I, from the start, I just was just wowed by it. I found it to be the most stable, sort of intuitive, best bike over the bumps that I've ridden. Um, and bearing in mind, it has nothing in it to make it more supple other than just carbon layup and design. There's no softening bits. There's no springy bits. There's nothing else. You've got tyres and you've got the frame. And it makes it... If you can keep in the saddle longer when it's really, really rough and bumpy you'll go quicker because otherwise you're just hovering above a saddle and yeah, you can pedal hard but you get tired quicker so it, it's just a win-win and I personally think that bike's very very good but there are others out there that are catching up yeah you know to me it just seems there are a lot of really good cross bikes out there and it's not all those pro rank bikes I think um, what we've also seen is because of the big explosion in gravel that that entry level of cross bike has got immeasurably better than it used to be because you know we've we've been doing this a long time and one of the criticisms you always had was when you were doing the entry level kind of cross bike test was they have so many fixtures and fittings they all had rack mounts they all had mudguard <coughs> mounts they all had two bottle cage mounts it was all this extra weight that they were carrying that for the pure racer are an irrelevance but most cheap cross bikes you know five ten years ago were being bought by commuters people who rode on the road and then they rode on you know byways and you know towpaths etc so do you think gravel has meant that entry into cross now is is actually much easier and is that another factor of why more people seem to be racing cross that you haven't got to make such an investment in such a more expensive you know really premium bike that actually a lot of the entry level bikes i'm thinking things like you know boardman's cx and um uh, some of the you know some of the the builds you can get from brands like Ribble, you know, they they seem like really, really good bikes at, at, at commuter bike money when they're races. Yeah, I think in a way, 
the big tire thing across the sport as a whole has really helped because road bikes have got bigger tires. Gravel, or we probably tend to call it all road more often, which yeah. I think makes more sense in this country because we haven't got a lot of gravel to play with. But um, that sort of bike, it definitely it, it has appeal for commuters, for anybody that just wants to put together a mixed route, which a lot of us do when you've got, say, a cycle path, a bit of road, gravel track, tow path, anything like that. It just makes a lot of sense to have a bigger tyre um, and a slightly more relaxing ride and something with a bit more versatility you can maybe fit my guards to as well. Um, and, yeah, definitely, I, I'm relieved, pleased, I guess, to see the back of, say, sub-grand aluminium cross bikes that have got, like you say, fixtures for everything, but it just compromised the cross side of it because it wasn't really just designed as a cross bike and it also wasn't really designed as a road bike, so it had not quite enough clearance for cross and didn't really add a lot to your road side of things other than maybe some extra mounts. And it just felt like a, yeah, it wasn't a great thing to have and it just made a lot of the cross bikes a little bit worse because then that would actually filter up the range. You'd have like two and a half grand cross bikes that were carbon still being designed to take mud guards and so on. And that just, while somebody may want that, it kind of, if you just wanted the bike for racing, you felt like you had things you didn't need yeah. being engineered into it, which, yeah. It's like for get, mud to get yeah, in, water to get yeah. in. And it's like you wouldn't fit a track day <clears throat> car with a, with a hitch for your caravan, would you? So, or a roof rack, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah, it's just daft. So I'm pleased about that. And yeah, I think the whole all road slash gravel area has made things better because that has expanded way down to, you know, like sub thousand pound money, where you can get a really capable bike that'll take you almost anywhere. It's pretty bomb proof. Actually makes a lot of sense for a lot of people when they may have previously bought a cheap mountain bike. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do that, but Often people would buy that and not need a mountain bike because they didn't need suspension. They didn't need big wide bars if they to go and commute on it because you kind of get stuck in traffic. Um, so I think, although it is an extra niche and potentially for some people it's like, oh, I need another bike now, which, okay, is a nice thing if you can afford it. it um, I think it has helped. And then cross bikes have noticeably in the last, I think, three years or so, just become purer again. They're mm. just cross and yes you can fit 40 more tires in some of them and say if you want to go out in the summertime and do some gravel bashing and so on which a lot of my friends do um, you can so yeah. you could actually have a, a cross specialist bike that's okay for gravel all the angles are generally a little bit different yeah and I guess the thing with you know a lot of the bike packing bags that are out there they don't rely on bosses or mounts anyway yeah, so you could fit those to yeah just about any any bike and then um, the you know the, the final thing i would say is, is like aside from the frame design it seems to me that um fewer like tech tech changes on componentry um have just seemed to have made crosser that bit more accessible I mainly i can remember you know chatting with you you know uh, only about five six years ago, and it'd be coming up to start the cross season, and you're, you're like, "Oh, what are you doing this weekend?" You're going, "Oh, I'm gluing tubs." So you'd be gluing four or five different sets of, you know, tires onto wheels. So you'd have your mud tire, your dry condition tire, your slightly, you know, you have to, you know, this myriad of things, um, and that's a big investment to have that amount of wheels that you need for each thing because of the, the palaver basically of just gluing tires on. You know, they're not that easy to switch if you. 
if you're a bit short, as it were. And you, I guess, have been a bit of an early adopter onto the whole tubeless thing for cross. Um, as that surely that's just made it a bit more accessible. That it's a lot quicker and easier to change change tires if you have a limited number of wheels. Definitely. I mean, I I, I didn't use for a long time. I was racing clinchers because that's all I could afford. I couldn't afford tubs and so on. Um, then I was able to use some tubs, had the right wheels for a while, and they can be phenomenally good. They're still probably the best thing out there if you're looking for ultimate performance. Like, but like you say, that it's one pair of wheels, one pair of tires. You don't just change them in a hurry. Once they're stuck on, you want to leave them there because it takes a while to fit, and if you remove it, you've got to clean the rims. You've got to potentially the tire won't be usable again because it's got too much stuff on the on the backing tape. So I, I, I've raced a couple of seasons now on on tubeless only, um, and obviously, the, as always with road as well, you've got to kind of find a a combination of tire and rim that are happy together because some don't work as well. Some are harder to set up. Some are simple to set up. Like set up really quickly, hold air perfectly, and you can run them really low pressures without any issues. I've had a couple where, um, even though they came with a cross bike. They wouldn't go down near cross pressures like sub thirty psi. They'd just lose air, or they'd burp, and you know that's yeah. not what you need because you don't get enough enough um, grip of those sort of pressures. But on the right rim tire combination, you can you can still run depending on your weight and how you ride sub twenty psi. Even though the tires were probably recommended at 30, 35 psi plus, which they generally all are, you can do that and they will stay on. Yeah. Um, some systems like Mavic's UST holds really well. Uh, zips really really good that, that just seems to just stay on regardless stands anything that's made by stands works well but then again the tyre selection is getting bigger too Schraube had the Nopoli for quite a long time just with the X1 all rounds and then the bites which are phenomenally good in the mud um, and what you, what I learned was the feel of those tyres was so good and like Schraube in particular the all round tyre you can do most of a season on that um but the season just gone it has been one of the muddiest I can remember in all of my time racing cross where I did one race on all round tyres and every other race has been mud right. because it's just been so wet. Um, but, like you said, if you've only got one pair of wheels, you could actually change the tyres before the race. I've seen people rock up in the car park, get the bike out, look at the course, think that's too muddy, come back to the car park, change tyres. It might take half an hour, 40 minutes, depends how efficient you are and how good your wheels and tyres are. And whether you brought some sealant along, but it is entirely possible. Which with tubs, it just isn't. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed with um, a lot of the guys that <clears throat> have raced for quite a long period is some of the guys that are still racing on rim brakes are the ones that have got an investment of a number of pairs of wheels with tubs for different conditions, which obviously are rim brake specific, and they, they, yeah. they can't afford to change the whole thing. They know they want to change the disc, and most they recognise even the stick in the muds now think. Yeah, discs are quicker and more efficient, and my rims aren't going to wear out. But a few are waiting either for the time when the rims have worn through so much that they're no use anymore, or when they can afford to just swap, you know, mm. wholesale over to to disc because that is the future. And also, they recognise that some of the older bikes are, just don't have the clearances anymore. Discs allow you to have different frame designs that aren't constrained by brake um, cantilevers, cantilever brakes. So you can get more clearance and therefore less clogging from the mud and so on. I mean, you were also a pretty earlier adopter on 
some of the other changes that came about in cross. I mean, I think you're one of the first guys out there racing on one by. I mean, yeah. has that been a big, a, a big um, sort of game changer? Yeah, I mean, um, I went to the Cross Worlds at Hugerheider in 2014, um, and just right before it, uh, SRAM launched the one by system to us. We'd heard and seen bits and pieces of it, I think, at some of the US races through the winter. There was spy shots and so on coming out, which was probably deliberate. But, um, yeah, we kind of knew what was coming, and I was quite in- intrigued by it because I've been racing double rings for quite a long time. Although, when I first began on my old Allen, um, most people raced on one, and I've still got that, a single ring with a, a, a plate bolted on each side of it, which was, it was one by, but that was how it was done for, for decades before that. Obviously, there was no chain retention system other than these plates, but, you know. Um, once I saw it, um, I knew what it could do with the clutch mech and everything. I was fascinated by it and got it as soon as I could get hold of it and, and raced it, and I've never gone back, mm. and I can't see me ever going back on it because I, I personally, I've, I've raced way over 100 races on it and tested umpteen bikes with the same system on and I've not dropped a chain ever and that's including races when you can't even see the chain ring because it's so muddy you can't see any of the cassette because it's just covered and it just keeps going it always seems to find its place and stays still and I know people have dropped chains but I don't know how or why there's could be other factors but for me personally I found it the most reliable thing ever in cross it's just it just works um it's just bomb proof and i like the fact that it's a little bit agricultural in a way because that's what keeps it going <clears throat> so i guess like we've seen quite significant changes in the design of the bikes cross does seem to be ever popular and, and it does seem to be growing especially at that kind of grassroots level um so for those out there that have never really experienced it or never seen it, and for somebody who's been racing it for three decades, I mean, what what is the appeal? I think these days um, our roads aren't getting any quieter. We've got way more cars on the road than ever. The appeal of being able to go and compete away from traffic in a location where you've got a circuit that's probably anything from like seven to ten minutes to get around a lap kind of thing. It's quite user-friendly, spectator-friendly. The races are no... Well, senior races are about an hour, maybe just over. Um, you can do novice races often for about half an hour, 40 minutes, if you just want to come along and have a go. You can rock up without needing to have a licence. You can pay for a day licence on the day for, I think, £3 plus your entry fee. Um, kids can start racing from usually age five or six in kids-specific races, like under eights and so on. It's discretion of the organisers to who they let start. But you see kids, I've seen kids on balance bikes going around, often if it's really muddy being pushed by their parents, but they're having a whale at the time. <laughs> they just, it is the, you, you mixture of boys and girls from, say, age five or six up to eight in one race and up to maybe uh, is it 10, under 10s, under 12s as well we have. And they're competitive, and a lot of them are just on whatever they've got. It's like, you know, just you ride what you brung kind of thing, and it's great, and they're having fun. And a lot of these kids go on, either to continue, continue in that part of the sport or they'll do some road cycling or go mountain biking or I mean, whatever. that's the thing is it crosses an incredible feeder for uh, yeah for all aspects of cycling. You know? <clears throat> Absolutely. Then the number of talents that have come from cross racing and done well elsewhere, I mean, whether they develop those things concurrently, I don't know, but 
a lot have begun in cross. I mean, the most notable current examples are Van der Poel, Matthew Van der Poel, who seems to have no end to his talents. I mean, he's a fantastic mountain biker, obviously a very talented road rider, and now triple world cyclocross champion. Um, and he's still only 23, 4, I forget. Um, Wout Van Aert as well yeah. came from cross to have a blinding Tour de France last summer until he crashed. I mean, I guess that's always been the case, isn't it? If you go, you know, if you think back to like Mike Kluger, you know, who was world amateur cross champ, world cross champ, and mountain bike, you know, mountain bike world champ, and he started Focus, you know, so, yeah. you know, that, that sort of, this, to me, it seems a sort of racing for people that are almost time poor, you know, if you can spare an hour on a Sunday, you can be a cross racer, whereas... Lots of elements of road racing are much, much longer, you know, much more, you know, there is, it's a much big, bigger time drain. But riding hard for an hour seems to me, you know, it's, um, it, it just seems to me it's a really good entry into racing if, if you've got lots of other commitments, you know, whether that's studying, whether that's you've got children, whether it's anything, you know, if you can get away for an hour on a Sunday morning, you can go and have a really, really good, fun, competitive time. Well, this sport began in France. Basically, was begun by road riders who wanted something competitive to do in the winter. That was like short, sharp, kept their sort of you know fast twitch fibers going a bit on their legs. You, you can get out and have a bit of a sprint, have a bit of a laugh. It's fairly safe. It's if you do crash in a cross, it's not generally a bad thing because it's it's fairly soft landings. Um, but it's just something to do. It's, yeah, like it's, it, it keeps intensity going, keeps a competitive edge a little bit in the winter. Um, and it's a change, and a, a change is as good as a rest regularly. But now, actually, it's coming, becoming so specific. Some riders um, dedicate themselves hugely to cross um, and do very well. And just staying like someone like Sven Nace, who is probably the biggest name cross has ever had, who's now since retired. But his son just became world champion, junior champion um, the other week. He's um, he was just a cross rider. He didn't really do much on the road or much. Mm. He did a bit of mountain biking to a lesser degree. Um, so he kind of stayed within the sport, whereas now there's more guys that are branching out, and also girls. You think about uh, Marianne Voss. I mean, she's been a phenomenal cross rider, track rider, road rider, and done some mountain biking too. So she's done everything. Nicole Cook for GB, and now we've got Tom Pidcock, who's been world junior time child champion. He's pretty handy on the road. He wasn't far out in the world champs last year on the road. And, um, yeah, just came second in the world elite championship at, at, at 20 first year ever riding it so there's a lot of you know, you know talent out there that seems to be able to maybe because they're just so, so talented they could do almost anything but a lot of them have nurtured themselves and nurtured their talents in cross and yeah. either moved but on do you or think that is because cross unlike most <clears throat> rope disciplines um i guess aside from time trial is a really kind of singular event so um it's not like you need a an old head on you know young shoulders sort of thing to understand how team play works and how you know and all that pacing thing you're basically because you're going out and blasting for an hour you're kind of relying on your skill set and your fitness level because yeah, because it's a almost solo pursuit basically yeah I think it gives you I mean there is a tactical edge to it if you're riding at that sort of level where you're competing to win I mean until you ride away from everyone I guess you, there is some tactical part but I think what it gives you from a young age is Phenomenal bike handling when you're doing it that fast, um, but also the aerobic and anaerobic capacity because cross is so um, 
it's not linear. It's not like a time travel. You're just riding at a steady effort. It's just it's just peaks and troughs with masses of sprints. Have you ever watched? Not that you get much time to a power meter in a cross race. I've done it, and it's first time I did it. It terrified me because I didn't train with a power meter. I'd never had one on the bike before, and I, I glanced at it and then race a few times. And you come out of a corner. I mean, for me, they're like. 650 watts or something when you accelerate away from the corner and then as you go onto the straight it drops down and you get to the next corner it's about 200 or something then you do it again the next corner and the next corner then you get to a bank and then you get off and you run and all those little efforts it just builds a massive base of strength and that can be applied to many other things and also as you say often if you if you're that good or you get away you're riding on your own so it's almost like a time trial some of the time you've got to be able to hold that pace when you can with all the efforts yeah. fitted into it so I think it, it does give you a lot of abilities that can be transferred I mean having the engine is one thing as has been proven by those that have done it um, but the bike handling side of it too look at Sagan he's he's done a bit off road and he's, he's quite useful hmm. and uh, Steve Barr as well done pretty well and there's a lot of other guys that have come from that area and gone on to track and road and everything and generally done done well they're not normally the ones that are sat at the back and you know not being seen because yeah they're probably a champion anywhere but they they do enjoy their cross and I think they come back to it for a reason yeah yeah so if we you know just to finish things up cross obviously seems you know a huge passion of yours and it seems it's definitely a thrilling race to watch and a thrilling race to, racing to compete in. And I think now entry into the sport is much more achievable than it ever was. You know, so if you were to, you know, recommend some of those latest gen entry level cross bikes for anybody who would look to get into into racing, you know, what would be the competitive bikes out there? Is it things like the E5 Cruxes? And I think they've actually. St- Stop doing the E5. I think they've just for this season, certainly in the UK, just kept it to carbon only now. But um, the the lowest priced entry level bike I've ridden recently is also a Canyon. It's the aluminium in flight. It's about thirteen hundred and fifty quid, I think. And when I tested that, the complete bike was lighter than some recent carbon bikes I'd tested that cost double. Right. Um, where you were paying for a really nice frame set, undoubtedly, but the stuff that came with it was a bit less good, yeah, yeah. a little bit heavier. And I mean, now is kind of, you know, not necessarily a bad choice for cross. Not at all. You know, that bike's going to get banged around quite a lot. So I think it was um, roughly eight kilos, or just a fraction over eight kilos for a fifty. No, what size would it be? A medium-sized one, um, yeah. as it came off the peg, and it was. I was blown away by it. It was phenomenal. I mean, you good. won't you won't find many road bikes at that price. No, like the weighing less than that, and that was one by, and it had yeah. you know tubeless ready rims, decent tubeless tires, and you, you could, you, I couldn't fault it. I really couldn't fault it. But there were others that are getting close. Um, people like Ribble have got good, yeah, uh, price bikes at a similar money, and they said before Bourbons isn't bad as well. Um, there's it's, it's competitive, and I think if you were in the market for that. You can pick up bikes for up to about one and a half grand that will do do you really well for, for a season, and they'll be competitive too. They're not like you used to buy something that was so compromised. You just think, well, I've got to change this and this and this and this to to even go racing. You haven't anymore, right? So there are plenty of bikes that you, you know you either take out of the shop or take out of the box, and they're good to go. Yes, 
Yeah. Definitely. Well, that seems a, a compelling way to finish things off, I guess. So hopefully you enjoyed our little ramble about uh, all things cyclocross. Um, and don't forget, if you liked it, uh, please subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.